This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how are we getting on this week, mate? Yeah, very good, thanks Josh. Uh, how are you, more importantly? I'm good. Wig, wig is getting slightly out of control. How's yours getting on? Yeah, same. The only thing was though, I was thinking about this before. This is our last week potentially, isn't it? That we're going to record before being able to get our haircut. So, um, yeah. I'm kind of just putting up with it. You know, no cap this time. I'm going to um, face the issue head on, and you know, no pun intended there, but face the issue <laughs> head on, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, you know, show the people the beast, so to speak. Yeah, one more week of bearing with the the awful haircuts. To be honest, um, yours doesn't look that bad. To be fair, yours looks like normal. It. <laughs> it feels yeah. it. It's keeping me heavy. Ears, <laughs> um, but anyway, we've got a podcast to get to. So yeah. this week we're going to speak about Leicester, and we're going to look ahead to Atalanta. Brief word on them, only a brief word because we did preview them last week or the week before, um, and then we're going to look ahead to the weekend fixture with Brighton. So we're uh, straight into it then. Last night's game, Leicester City, top of the table. Um, we previewed it, but we weren't overly sure what to commit to, really, on the preview, simply because of the injuries and stuff. Um, but to be honest, the match played out, in my opinion, not sure about you, Dave, but for me, it played out how last season, last season's two meetings played out, really. Yeah. Yeah, the um, I mean, first and foremost, what I'd say was, you know, I thought it's important to point out, considering this is analysing Anfield, just how good Liverpool were. Thought they were pretty much faultless, by far the better side, um, which is pretty impressive when you consider all the issues that they had in terms of injuries, um, you know, players not being available. So to put in that kind of performance that they did, I thought was was really good and a testament to. To them, and really a testament to kind of the structural importance of this Liverpool side. Like, you could go around all the players, pat on the back, saying how well they played, but I think there is more to it. You know, the way these players can kind of fill in at different roles. You know, you look at Milner, I think he played two different roles on the night, didn't he? Um, Wine Alden drops in at six. The way these players, even Jones as well, Curtis Jones coming in at like an eight, the way he can just come in and adapt. I think it's a lot more than just being good players. I think there's a lot of good work that goes on behind the scenes um, on the training pitch to to be able to do that. So Liverpool, really good. I have to be honest, I, I mentioned this to you last night, didn't I, on the, on WhatsApp, but I'm glad I talked down Leicester because I thought they were really disappointing uh, and pretty pretty poor. They didn't really test Liverpool at all on the night. No, I would agree. Um, I distinctly remember saying last season that this Liverpool team is a nightmare for Leicester because of how Liverpool want to play on an ideal day compared to how Leicester want to play on an ideal day. Um, this season, I wasn't overly certain it would happen again, largely because Leicester have seemed a bit more adaptable, um, a bit more able to change when it comes to imposing a bit of a counter-attacking game. I think Rodgers has generally struggled a little bit with that in his career. He's really good when he's dominant when he's in control of the dominant players. But when he's maybe the underdog, 
he's not that great at coming up with a, a counter attacking game. Obviously, they beat City 5 2. Yes, there was a few penalties in there. They beat Arsenal, I think it might have been 1 0, maybe 2 0 at the Emirates. Um, so it just looked that, and Liverpool were obviously a, a lot less equipped to cope with those moments, let's say, those counter attacking moments that I knew Leicester were going to get without Van Dijk, without Gomez. Um, but now it just, it just played out exactly how it would if Liverpool had the first 11. Uh, really dominant game. And I thought it was largely, I thought it was largely perfect. Really, I think Klopp said last season at at the King Power that Liverpool were it was pretty much a perfect game, and this was similar, a little bit less perfect when we go into the numbers. But I think uh, from Liverpool side of things, it was it was really dominant, and from Leicester side of things, I don't think Leicester played like you'd expect Leicester to play. I think the it, it you know if Leicester weren't weren't wearing the Leicester kit. It could have been any any team, really, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think when when they kind of play this tactic of sitting in and you know looking to explode on the counter, I think it's really important that you get your passes right when you do that. Those forward balls, you get them spot on, and I just think all night they they, they weren't doing that. They just they just didn't look a threat. I think one of their biggest chances of the night might have been the Avadi chance, um, if memory serves me right, and even that was. And potentially offside, like it's just. I said, I thought they were. And I'm very conscious of sound. Like it was all Leicester being bad and Liverpool not being good. Liverpool were good, but Liverpool were are always that good at home. Yet there's the caveat of they haven't got so many key players. But Liverpool performed how you'd expect them to perform. I just think Leicester were, were, were really poor. And on another day, I think that could have been easy, but five or six nil. Yeah, I mean the numbers captures that. To be honest, Liverpool twenty four shots on a day. Leicester took eleven. Um, so that's shot differential of thirteen. In any game, any team not shooting thirteen times more than the other team, they're gonna win most weeks. Uh, Liverpool got thirteen of those on target. Leicester four, and the expected goals was was high. Liverpool's expected goals three point seven. Um. And Leicester one point three, and expected goals usually tends to be quite reserved, quite conservative when it comes to you know valuing chances and stuff. So to post three point seven, that 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 is quite high. I think I'm going to check it now, but I think that's Liverpool's highest of the season in a single game, um, and I think it just captures Liverpool's dominance on a day day. To be honest. Yeah, well, if you, I mean, I'm just having a look at understats, Matt, now, and I'm counting here. One, two, three, four big chances inside the six-yard box. You know, when I say big, I'm, I'm talking 0.4 upwards in terms of, you know, XG value. I know we, we, we often say that you don't like to focus too much on, you know, individual XG value for shots, but that does tell a story. And then there's another one just outside the six-yard box, that's over 0.5. I mean, they're really high-quality chances in really good areas. You know, anything normally in the six-yard box has got a good chance of converting to a goal and a shot from that area. And as I said, Liverpool had four inside. And, and I think they actually had another couple, but I'm talking about four really big chances inside. And then they had another really big one just outside. So, I mean, that, that tells the story in itself. Yeah, for, for what it's worth, it is Liverpool's highest XG of the season so far in, in the Premier League. That is, 
last season in the Premier League, the Leicester game was this is away the third highest XG that Liverpool posted and the home fixture at Anfield was the fifth highest XG that Liverpool posted. So just generally against Leicester, against Rodgers' Leicester, Klopp's Liverpool tends to do really, really well uh, for a number of reasons. Obviously, the style of play clashes there. Leicester tends to be quite methodical, building through the thirds of the pitch, breaking the lines and forging clear-cut chances, basically. And that tends to play into Liverpool's hands in many ways. Obviously, Liverpool pressing, counter-pressing, being really organised, difficult to play through, really athletic. And it's difficult, usually, to generate clear-cut attempts against Liverpool. This season, not so much. But I think Leicester found it tricky um, again. So, it's you know, weird. we should have been yeah. maybe able to fall off. Mm. It's weird, though. I look at that XG, and for Leicester, this is... And look at the ch- the chances. Obviously, they had how many shots was it? They had um, eleven yeah. on the yeah, and they had four on target. That just it doesn't feel like it captures the game. It's so bizarre. Even the the XG that they've put um, up for the match, and again, it feels a little bit like it, it doesn't maybe tell the full story. Maybe I'm just being too harsh on them, but I just thought they they were pretty poor on the night. I have to say, I was no, really well. I would agree. I remember, I remember one shot, one shot in particular, um, Harvey Barnes arriving mm. in the box off a Jamie Bardi cutback. But other than that, I couldn't really tell you where they get the 1.3 XG on the mm. day. To be honest, where they get the you know 11 shots for on targets. I couldn't really tell you. Um, I'd love, I'd love to know what maybe the uh, the post shot XG values were for the for that game. You know, just to try and get get an idea of how threatening those shots actually turned out to be, because um, I said I think when when you see these big chances, you kind of go, Oof, you know, that was close. But as I said, there's none of those lasting memories in the game at all. Um, yeah, it's a strange one, that. Yeah, I mean, in in comparison to last season, it's it's probably Liverpool's attack being very very similar. Obviously, twenty four shots. I think we took around that at the King Power. We took around that at Anfield. Um, the difference this time around, I suppose, in comparison to last season, was was the shots faced. Liverpool last season against Leicester, I think, faced below, faced in and around five shots. This season, obviously, it was up to eleven. But as I said, I don't really remember many of them. Um, they never really felt overly dangerous, and Liverpool, I think, for me, always felt in control. I think it's probably the way, the best way of putting it. Liverpool always mm. felt in control of the match, never felt. Overly phased. I think after the game when Milner was speaking, I think it was, he said in the second half we weren't as good. But I never really picked up on that. I never really felt like there was a period where we were hanging on. Not really like that. Yeah, I think when you come up against Leicester, one of the biggest things you normally see is the defence getting stretched, and that's how they kind of create. And you know, they can make you look very unorganised very quickly in transitions and. That's one thing that stands out for me. I don't think at any point Liverpool did. You know, you said that you don't think they look particularly uh, phased or anything. That I agree. I, I don't think they look stretched at any point in the game. Um, maybe if you conceded a few half chances, but I just at no point did Leicester look like they were going to come back in the game. And two 0 can often be a bit of a precarious scoreline sometimes. You know, you can see one and suddenly the nerves kick in, but Leicester didn't even look close to getting that one. 
No, I mean, I think I think Rodgers labelled Jamie Vardy a few weeks back as, as the best counter-attacking player in the league. Um, and I, to be honest, I'd probably agree with him. But mm. when it comes to what he did against Liverpool, I think if you keep if you keep Vardy quiet for for an extended period like that with a makeshift makeshift back four, um, you know you've, that, that's a serious performance. And obviously, a lot of it stems from cutting off the supply to him, which I think we did. I think we were really on Madison's toes. I think Ma- Madison's first touch and receiving between the lines was was flawless. I thought mm-hmm. we spiked that first touch, which is supposed to buy it a few seconds. Liverpool was still right on top of him, just didn't give him a second. Um, it was just a, a top defensive display, to be honest. One of the few clean sheets that Liverpool have managed this season. Um, obviously, we should probably speak about the, the tactical side of Liverpool's game. It was 4-3-3 once again. But with Milner playing as Trent, with Jota playing as Salah, and with Curtis Jones in centre mid, mm. uh, this is not something that we usually do. But Dave, who was your man of the match? Um, yeah, no, it was. It's hard to look past Jota, I think, because he capped off a really good performance with a goal. Like he, he just made you not miss Salah, which is some feat, to be fair. Um, that's right. He'd probably take it for me, Jota, but I would definitely put Jones in that conversation as well. He'd probably put Milner. In fact. You could arguably say of the of the, the, the lads who come in, there, there's you probably maybe your mind the match, and then you'd put Firmino somewhere in there as well because I thought Firmino played really well. Well, to be honest, you know, I sat I on the fence there. Sorry, mate. I'll go Jota. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would I would agree again, but I think particularly Milner, um, who I tend to feel a little bit disappointed by. His contributions sometimes, not necessarily, obviously he offers a lot when it comes to leadership and all that sort of stuff, but I mean particularly his contributions with and without the ball. I think sometimes he he, he can demand a bit more from himself. Um, but I think in particular this game, obviously you think of what Trent offered last season against Leicester. He was, you know, it was one of the games where I think those who weren't convinced by Trent will have been after watching him against Leicester last season. Milner obviously came in as Liverpool's right back, um, and I'm just in the middle of writing a piece on a uh, on him for the Echo because the way he came in and kind of acted as Trent, I thought was quite interesting. Mm. So in the game, he posted ten passes to the final third. Um, Curtis Jones posted eight. No other Liverpool player posted above four. Um, and on the Leicester side of things, the highest on the Leicester side was Madison with five. So Milner posted 10 in that department. Then when it comes to passes into the penalty box, Milner posted five, again, more than any other player. Andy Robertson with three. And then on the Leicester side, you had Jengas under with three. And Harvey Barnes on two, Madison on one. So again, Milner on five. And then progressive passes, I won't come out with the definition because it's just a bit elaborate, but picture the progressive pass and you don't mind, I suppose. You'll probably know, you'll probably get it right. Milner posted 11. Uh, the next best on the Liverpool side was Curtis Jones with six. Um, and then on the Leicester side, James Justin with seven. So in terms of progressing the ball and basically doing what Trent usually does, I thought Milner was actually really impressive and 
he could have came in and basically played to his strengths. You know, some players come in and just kind of let other players do their thing and kind of just drift into the background and do a job. But I thought Milner's impact on the actual game, um, particularly when it comes to bringing Liverpool up the field, I thought he did really well in sense absence and uh, offered a lot of what Trent usually does. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. I think it goes back to that point I made earlier about the importance of the structure and the work that must go in behind the scenes on Liverpool's structure because Liverpool have two things. They obviously have a set way of playing. You know, everybody understands the roles in each position, but they also have versatile players who come in as well. Um, and often the so the roles that they play, like Milner there, that's quite a that that's a more enjoyable role, I'd say, in terms of you get to be more um offer more and contribute more in attack. Whereas I think sometimes players have to blunt themselves and almost self-sacrifice their own performance for the good of the team. I think the perfect player as an example of that is Juan Aldum. You know, he you see what he do, does when he goes abroad um, with the national team in, in international matches, gets to kind of play a more creative attacking role. I assume a more enjoyable role because we all know from playing football, you like to score goals, you like to get assists. But he, he, he then comes to Liverpool, plays in the midfield and kind of sacrifices all that to, to do the dirty work and to you know be a lot more rigid and a lot more reliable and a bit more of an engine. Um, but that's the role that's expected of him. More so yesterday, playing in the number six. Um, but that's what Liverpool plays seems to do across the board. You know, even Jota, Jota comes in, he has to kind of play more like Salah, doesn't he? Jones comes in in that position, he has to start and play more like whoever plays in that position, whether that's Wang Alden, Henderson, whoever. Um, and I think Milner is an example of that. You know, Milner would have come in, say for argument's sake, as a, as a number eight yesterday, you would have seen a different performance again from the same player, wouldn't you? But obviously he's coming at right back and his role is to replicate the, the normal right back, who's Alexander-Arnold. And I do think he's done a really good job of it. He, he never ceases to amaze me, Milner. He's just, I feel like he, I can never see him retiring. He just seems to go, go, go and go. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think what you've just said there about, you know, if he played in centre mid, he played differently. I think that's a, a, a really crucial thing to note with, with this Liverpool team, to be honest. I think the 4-3-3 now is, is very much established. You know what to expect from every single position. And I think it's like it's like if, if Milner was to play as a centre mid, despite still being James Milner, he will play entirely differently as a centre mid as he will you know, as a right back, Wijnaldum playing as a six differently to an eight and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's just, I, th- I think a lot of it probably stems from just the, the tactical awareness of the team and um, the system just kind of being ingrained into every player, especially, you know, I think we mentioned last week when we were previewing what the team might be. I think we mentioned about Milner being one of the few who's been there since Klopp got appointed. So in mm. terms of knowing the system inside out, you got Milner right up there. Really, mm. uh, but in in terms of you know a takeaway from this game and possibly from the weekend, I think looking ahead to the season, you know who's going to win it, that sort of thing. Liverpool are currently joint, well second, I suppose, but on the same number of points as Spurs, twenty, I think it is, at the top of the table. Seven points, I think, is what separates first, and I think it might be something like twelfth in the table. Mm. Um. But I think I have a bit of a theory already as to will Liverpool's attack be what wins this league this season? 
um, because I think this is one of the few departments out there that does seem to be on a different level to to any other rival. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I try and think of who else is in the round there in terms of you know attacking output, um, you know, backed up by like say underlying metrics as well. And you've got, you know, you've got obviously Liverpool, Chelsea is around there. Um, Tottenham will be up there. I think Leeds, but then Leeds have such kind of issues in, in defence as well. I think I expect theirs to drop off a little bit. But beyond that, you know, you'd expect to see City. And I do think City will kind of find some attack and flow again. But I think it's, although we'll only, I think they've only played eight games, is it? It's still so early on, you know, it could all change. It could look completely different in eight games time from this point. But I just don't see it being, I just can't see City replicating what Liverpool do. I feel like yeah, they were neck and neck for a couple of years, but the way it seems now, it doesn't it, for me anyway. I, I just can't see City closing that gap and going neck and neck with Liverpool again. So you are kind of looking from an attacking point of view, Tottenham and Chelsea. How would Tottenham look without Harry Kane? I don't know. I think Chelsea have so many good attackers that they have potential to score plenty every week, but there is still that lack of familiarity that you know Liverpool have got now that we've just made a big point about talking um, you know when injuries come in or players aren't available will others be able to slot in with the same kind of efficiency that Liverpool are showing I don't know so on, on that basis I would say that in many ways they are quite unrivaled at the moment Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel If you look at the numbers again on this the goals for Goal scored column of the table. Liverpool currently joined second. Chelsea have scored 22. Liverpool and Spurs have both scored 21. Um, just as an outside point, City have scored 10. Um, and then when it comes to the shooting and all that sort of stuff, Liverpool currently top posted 152 shots so far. Leeds in second on 131. Um, obviously, a few teams have played... Uh, one fewer game. So if we're doing shots per match, Liverpool currently posting 16.9 shots per match. That is again top of the league. City in second on 15.3 shots per match. Then funnily enough, Aston Villa, then Leeds, then Man United, then Chelsea. Um, so I think on the, obviously City get a bit of a boost there. City are posting the second most shots in the league and it's not that far behind Liverpool. But then if we look at XG per shot, you know, which which offers an insight into kind of how clear cut your chances are on average, the attempts that you that you take. The average shot that Liverpool take has roughly a fourteen percent chance of finding the net. City, based on the shots that they've taken so far, they've got an average of about eight percent. That's that's quite a difference in, in you know in the the realms of XG. That's a big difference. I know it's only 6%, but honestly, there's a bit of a difference in that. Spurs, Everton, Leicester, all, all posting 13% on the expected goals per shot table. But um, I think what I'm getting at is Liverpool are by far the best in the league at merging quality and quantity in the same same department, really. Um, most mm. Like Spurs, for example, Spurs have got the quality, 13% per shot. But 
on the quantity side, they are behind one, two, three, four, five. They're behind six teams on the quantity side. Liverpool are top quality and top for quantity. Hopefully, I haven't been too confusing there, but no. I just I think what I'm getting at is just on the underlying numbers side. I think Liverpool's performance in open play, sort of thing, excluding penalties and all that sort of stuff, it's just just the best. It's comfortably the best. And if you think of Liverpool's front three, the players I think are also the best. Um, they're never injured. And the fourth, who we've just signed in the summer, Diego Jota, he's he's clearly contributing, clearly scoring whenever he's given the opportunity, really. And I just think over the course of the season, especially given the, the fitness and the injuries and the, the, the lack of clean sheets that we're seeing, I think this season it, it could be the attack that, that wins Liverpool the league, which would go against previous years where I think people have looked at Van Dijk and Alisson and thought, so it's, it's a defence that's got Liverpool over the line now, but I think it might be the attack moving forward. It could well be, yeah. Um, because what the, one of the biggest caveats was, you know, what would happen if one of those three got injured? Well, we now know that there's a fourth forward who comes in and kind of replicates the output because he's so versatile. You know, people thought he might have been a Mane kind of replacement, but we've seen him play through the middle, so him play on the right uh, on Sunday, and he's provided in each of those positions. So suddenly, you know, you've got cover when one of those players do go out. Um, and yeah, I just, I just can't see anyone better in Liverpool from an attacking point of view. Another really important um, comment on that would be if this, if these numbers and the, that goal return was on the back of kind of nothing, you know, they just started doing that, this campaign and it wasn't something that we've become accustomed to over the last couple of years, then maybe you would look at it with a little bit more doubt. But we know that Liverpool have been one of the best attacking sides in the division for the last two years. And they, you just look to be replicating that again this year. So it doesn't look like it's a fluke, which means you can probably guess it's going to be sustainable. And you can talk about defence all you want, but normally when all's said and done, the teams who shoot the most tend to score the most goals and the teams who score the most goals tend to win the most matches. It's that simple. Um, and team yeah. who wins the most matches goes on to win the league. Yeah, I think the surprising thing is it's got to be City, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it is getting a bit weird. I mean, I've said to a few people, the, the acid test for me, weirdly, is the next, possibly the next game, maybe the next two. The next two, they're at the Etihad, both games against Burnley and Fulham. Pep Guardiola City, you would expect to score goals in, in those games, wouldn't you? Mm. Specifically Burnley, every single year, City demolished Burnley at the Etihad. I think it's something like three years since Burnley have had a shot on target at the Etihad. <laughs> uh, that's not a joke. That's a, that's an actual thing. Um, and I think City tends to score at least five every time. It's a little bit different when you go to Turf more. But at the Etihad, it's usually City 5-0, easy as anything. And then Fulham, obviously we see Fulham are quite open. I think I'd expect City to score at least three against Fulham. But I think in those two games, I think if City don't come away with a bag of goals, I think then we can comfortably say, even though it's only, I don't know, going to be 10 games in by then, I think then I will be able to comfortably say with confidence, 
City's attack is not the same because that's what I'm thinking now. Josh, just quickly on that. Um, City have, in the last three matches against Burnley, have won all three the SARs by the same 5 0 scoreline. So it's th- three back to back 5 0s. Before that was a 4 1. Before that was a 3 0. Yeah, it's just, it is relentless whenever City, because John Dice is always going to play a 4 4 2. Guardiola knows that. Guardiola loves these tactical adjustments and all that sort of stuff. Mm. He's had his home ground. He knows exactly how to attack Burnley, how to cause them problems. And 15 goals in three games against them. If City's attack is it any different, if, there is, if, if it has suffered any changes, we will see it against Burnley. But that, that, mm. that'll be the game for me that'll tell me this attack is no longer the same or this attack has just been struggling without a striker of late or, or whatever. So I'm interested to see how that one goes next week. Mm. Um, so a brief word then on Atalanta. Just midweek, Liverpool currently top of their Champions League group on nine points. Ajax on four, Atalanta on four, Michelin on zero. I think I'm right in saying that Liverpool only need a point to qualify. Um, it's at Anfield. I'm just curious what you're doing, Dave, in terms of your team. Are you giving any players a break and like that? Because I think Klopp is really concerned with, with the injuries he's picking up here. If, if he's got the option to, yeah. If he can, you know, it's got to the point now where bearing in mind that we do this show every week and we write about Liverpool a few times a week, keep an eye on things closely. I couldn't actually tell you who's, who's, who's available and who's not. I have an idea. I know the obvious ones who are out, but um, it's very difficult. So... Although Klopp will have a better idea, it, it, that kind of captures how how hard it could be for him to kind of make a rotated team, you know, makeshift team. That being said, if he's got that option, I would rotate it because it's a it's how can I how can I word this? No disrespect to Antalanta, but it's a kind of it's a game on paper where you can probably although he won't want to lose or even drop any points. You could draw that game and it wouldn't really change the outlook of the of the group or wouldn't impact qualification um options or possibilities. So I'd be inclined to definitely change it. Um, especially given how clear Liverpool are in the group, you know, all the congested fixed fixture list they've got at the moment. Um and plus Atalanta are in really good form. You know, I've, I've got the stuff up here and I think they've won one game in five. So, you know, they're not even in the... It's not like you get got, getting this rage in Atalanta coming to, you know, who's going to cause you big problems. I think they're a little bit out of form as well. So, for me, Josh, I'll change it. Yeah, I think there'll be one or two changes. I think, given Milner's age, I think Milner will come out. I think Nico Williams will go in. Um, and I think that'll either be... I think Salah will come in. Because I think he's now, uh, you now had a bit of a break, and I think he's now testing negative. So I think Liverpool might go from four, um, as we did. In fact, no, we didn't. Did we? Firmino think started on the bench when we when we went mm. to Italy. But I think yeah. he might go from four. Nico Williams is a right back, and a midfield two of maybe Wijnaldum and possibly Jones. But I just can't see Jones in the midfield two. I don't know why. Yeah, it seems it seems like he's a little bit more. Um, he's just a little bit better in the opposition's half than maybe his own. I'd probably summarise that. Um, I'd like to give a nod, by the way, to Wijnaldum because I think he, he's never ever injured, right? 
he's just played for Holland in the international break three times. Didn't play 90 minutes in every game, but he, he played in all three games. I think he started all three. Mm-hmm. Um, scored three goals in that period. Just came back, played for Liverpool against Leicester. 90 minutes. Probably going to play during the week. Probably going to play next week. He, the man is just... Um, He's just, what's the word, so robust that it's just such a pick to have a player like that in your team in these times, especially. Yeah, the, uh, and my toes were curling in the summer, really, when so many people couldn't wait to kick him out the door to get uh, Thiago in when they thought it would have to be a case of a straight swap because um, just such a disservice, the kind of the player that he is. He's such an important player. As I said, he could go and be a, a number 10 if Liverpool needed him there. Uh, he could go, you know, play. Even well, he does play deep. He plays his nice. He's, he's just an all-round really good midfielder. Um, and you know, it's as you said, there's there's got to be this appreciation for him. I think, and you know, people need to start giving him more respect because, on top of all the ability with the ball and um, what he can do on the pitch, as you said, he's always available, and that's key. That is so important. Yeah, I mean, the game he'll be available for next week is going to be Brighton. We'll get into it now. Um, good team, Dave. I think anybody that is interested in the performance numbers beneath the surface and all that sort of stuff will look beyond the results and let the numbers basically shape their opinion on Brighton. That's something I certainly do. Um, and I do think that the better than the results, um, even though they're currently is it maybe 16th in the table, 15th. Yeah, they were before the weekend. Um, I imagine they'll still be in and around that position. Um, mm. yeah, currently 16th, yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think what I'm getting at is that they're definitely not the 16th best team in the league, are they? No, they're not. Um, I, I, I wrote about them, actually. A bit of an in-depth piece, even. Um, last week, I had a proper good look at them and... There's so much they've got going for them, you know, they've, they've got a clear identity, they, they, can, they can play, you know, they, they can progress through the lines and they can get up to the attacking third. Um, they play good stuff and tend to be the better team in most matches. They just, they've lacked that clinical touch and um, they, they've had a, one or two vulnerabilities from certain situations uh, at the back. But yeah, on the whole, they're, they're on the way to being a good side, without doubt. Yeah, in, in terms of the, the performance side of things, you know, excluding referees, luck, um, penalties, whatever you want to do. They're just a very well-coached team, from what I see at least. I think their attack, I would look at as relatively mid-table maybe. And then I think the defence at the moment at least looks top four standard, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think they've currently faced the... F- the second fewest I think it might have been um, yeah so City are currently facing the fewest shots in the league per match 7.5 and then Brighton 7.6 and then Liverpool on 8.5 so in terms of generating shots against Brighton it is genu- generally quite tricky um, problem is when those shots come they do tend to go in um, their goalkeeping situation is worse than I thought Actually, when I look into the numbers, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, Dave. Um, but yeah. They've currently saved exactly half of the shots on target that they've faced. Um, 
50% save percentage, which is bad. Funny enough, Liverpool are the second worst at the minute, um, which I think captures you know the deflections that we suffered against Villa and um, as even came in for a few games and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think Brighton generally tend to suffer whenever they face a shot. I also think sometimes that um, it's worth flagging, and it's 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 actually worked out well that you flagged Liverpool as one of the teams as well. I do think that that data sometimes gets um, skewed a little bit when the teams who face the fewest shots you look at it because it sometimes kind of inflates that uh, percentage a little bit, doesn't it? Um, because they face fewer shots, so one shot can tend to have a greater impact one way or the other. Um, which I think is more the case with with these two potentially, but yeah, what I what I found because I did see a lot of the the goalkeeping stuff, you know, a lot of criticism of uh, Matt Ryan, and I ended up having a look back of all the goals they conceded pre the Aston Villa game on the weekends. It was fourteen at that stage, but only six had come from open play, um, and obviously, you know, that kind of ties into what we're seeing that they look good in numbers. Um, They'd had one deflected goal, one own goal, but even the own goal, if you look at it, it was you might remember that actually, Josh, because the game was quite unforgettable. It was uh, that United one where United won with like a penalty after the final whistle had gone. Um, that was an own goal by Dunk, but Maguire was right there, you know, two yards out, he would have put it in anyway. Um, and the, the main issue seems to be you can see the four penalties and. Yeah, at that point, it was another four set-piece goals. I can't remember what Villa's goal was on the weekend. I can't remember if that come from a set-piece or not. Um, but yeah, it seems they got a little... Go on. The, the goal score was Esri Conte. So, obviously, centre-half. So, I'm, I'm assuming it was a set-piece. I didn't actually see it myself, but I, it probably yeah. is. Well, I uh, I did watch the game, and then I think they scored straight after half-time. And um, I was making a cup of tea or something, so I missed it. And I don't, yeah, didn't say any replays. I missed that goal. Yeah, because it was straight after half-time, wasn't it? But um, anyway, I'm, I'm taking us down a rabbit hole here. Basically, it does seem that they've got, uh, obviously, issues with the penalties, which you can kind of complain about uh, penalties to an extent. But at the end of the day, we're, we're all playing to the letter of the law at the moment. And set-piece goals... You know, they conceded a fair few from set pieces this season and they had the um, I think it was only eight sides that conceded more set piece goals last season. And we know sometimes that's like set pieces can be a bit of an XG cheat, can't they? Uh, we talked about before because headers tend to generate less of an XG compared to shots taken with a foot. But you know, if you haven't headers from like six yards out, they could quite easily end up being goals. So I think that's what's happening at the moment. They've just got a little bit of a vulnerability from set pieces, and it's worth noting because if someone like Matip's on the pitch, then it, you know it, it could be could be exploited. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting shout. Um, I, I think it's interesting actually when it comes to Liverpool. Obviously, we've just mentioned that Liverpool average the most shots per match. Obviously, Brighton face very few. So it'll be interesting. There's something's obviously got to give. Brighton mm. could be currently um, posting very few because they haven't they haven't yet faced Liverpool. They haven't yet faced. I don't think they've faced City. City have they? Um, usually you know, no. a bit of a hit when you face the big hitters in the league. So maybe after this weekend, after the weekend coming, Brighton's you know shots faced average takes a bit of a knock. After facing Liverpool, have Liverpool post the usual average of about fifteen to twenty in the game. But Josh, one thing I will say as well is you're talking about decent attacks. Okay, 
Everton's attack isn't up there with Liverpool's, um, but it's probably it is one of the better attacks in the Premier League this season. And it's interesting that when they come up against that, they um, they conceded four times. So it does make you think, you know, is it when they come up against these better, better attacking sides, especially Liverpool, which so far look to be the best, you know, are they going to suffer big time as a result? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good shout. I think in terms of Brighton's attack, I think in the past few months, dating back to last season, they've generally struggled when it comes to putting the ball in the back of the net. But I think progression up the field, they're really good at, to be honest. Mm. Um, I had a look at the numbers on that before. But when it comes to facing Liverpool, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they progressed through Liverpool quite well. But when he gets the final third or the business end, the the moves kind of fall down a little bit. Um, so when it comes to progressive passes this season, Brighton have currently played the fifth most uh, probably sick the most, to be honest, because Man United are right behind them and they've played the game less. And then when it comes to passes into the box, Brighton have currently played the fourth most. Um, so that's that's progression type stuff. But then if you look at like key passes, which is a, a pass that leads to an assist, Brighton drop a little bit towards mid-table. Um, so it's just kind of like that, that decisive product when you get to the business end of the pitch, they don't really have much of. They seem to have. I always think when you look at Brighton squad, they seem to have loads and loads of number tens. Yeah, <laughs> loads of very similar players. Loads of um, like five Lalanas. <laughs> yeah, loads of Lalanas. Yeah, loads of Pascal Gross type players. It was just yeah. nice, progressive, um, not very, very nimble. You know, not not the not the strongest, good in tight spaces. And don't really offer that much uh, when it comes to putting the ball in the net. I'm not, I'm not sure it's weird. Yeah, no, I agree with that, mate, because I brought Trossard in thinking he's going to be a low key kind of uh, fancy football treat here because his numbers looked okay. And I uh, don't think he scored at all since and he's injured now. So, yeah, I, uh, I've been actually, burnt with that. He actually played well, I think, against Liverpool last season when we went to Brighton. So. He is a good player, yeah, he is a good player, to be fair to yeah, if he's going to be out, that's a good thing, actually. And obviously, we should mention as well, as it stands right now, at least, Lanty is supposed to be out, which mm-hmm. is a big, big benefit because he is a problem. I, I rate him really hard. You know how, how highly I rate him, Dave. Yeah. Uh, so it's really good that Liverpool are not going to be facing him. Mm-hmm. It causes potential problems, even though he's up against, arguably, the strongest side of Liverpool's defence on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one thing I was going to flag was that I think against Villa, one thing I picked up on was how well Neil Morpé and Danny Welbeck linked up. Um, I wasn't really aware that Welbeck was starting for them, to be honest. Um, seems to be injured 24-7, but he, he's back in, obviously, and his finish against Villa. His little dink over um, Emmy Martin is actually quite a good finish. Yeah, it was, yeah, because he had a lot of time to think about it as well. And uh, You can often see some panic there, can't you? But no, it was... Uh... It was a finish of a season professional. Um, fair play to him. No fair play. So we will wrap up there then. A uh, little bit of an it's a little bit of a less long pod this week, but we will get. We in fact we need to get Dave's verdict. Dave verdict. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, I do think that Brighton are going to be a much tougher game than Leicester were, which you know kind of. I am forcing this agenda of 
Leicester not being good at the moment, just because you know they annoyed me last night. You know, I just wanted to see a really good game. That was meant, and that's not that doesn't mean I didn't want. I wanted them to win. I just wanted to see an exciting game. You know, I wanted to see two of the best sides go at it. And as I said, Liverpool could have easily won five or six nil. Um, but yeah, I expect Brighton to be a little bit of a tougher game. Although I do still fancy Liverpool. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be tight. I'm going to go two one Liverpool. I'm a bit more confident. I'm going to go three one Liverpool. Um, I think Klopp will possibly field four attackers because I don't think he will drop Firmino after finally getting his goal. Yeah. Obviously, it's difficult to drop Jota after the way he's playing at the minute, and obviously he scored again yesterday. Salah's obviously back. Salah will not be on the bench, so I think he might field four attackers. And even though Brighton don't face many shots, when they do. Obviously, they tend to find the net based on the numbers, at least. I know that a lot of that comes into penalties and goalkeeping and stuff, but I don't think Matt Ryan's having the best season. So, if you couple that in with the fact that Liverpool are probably going to shoot quite a lot, um, obviously, you consider last season when Liverpool punished them when they were trying to build from the back early on. I think Salah might have scored inside the first couple of minutes. Um, mm. Or someone scored inside the first couple of minutes. I think Liverpool are probably going to do a similar thing again. So I'm gonna go with three one Liverpool and I think we will I think we will do quite well unless um unless we pick up even more injuries in the build up. Well yeah, that's it. The way it is at the moment, you know you don't know, do you? <laughs> yeah. So uh, we will be back next week then. So who who have we gone after after Brighton Dave? <laughs> Oh, I, I think Tottenham's coming up, you know, but I don't. It might be another week or two that one. But I've got the fixtures up here, so give me two seconds. Um, it's Brighton, I at Wolf. What Wolves at home, which will be interesting. Wolves at home, is it? Yeah. So you got um, so with Atalanta, Brighton, Ajax at Anfield, and then Wolves a few days later at Anfield. Okay, so we will be back next week then to either preview Ajax or review Ajax. And we'll be looking ahead to the match with Wolves. So thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, mate. Thanks, everyone. And thanks for tuning in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.